Welcome to My Friends in the North with PR and management consultant Sarah Waddington as she interviews some of the leading lights in the north of England about their work, the economy, communications and what makes them tick. Hello and welcome to the first My Friends in the North of 2021. And today I'm delighted to welcome to the show someone I've known and admired for a long time. Lucy Winskill OBE is the new chair of the Northeast Local Enterprise Partnership, which is one of Astute.Works clients. But I first met her when she was a partner at Sinton's LLP. Well, today Lucy wears a number of hats, which we'll be talking through over the next 20 minutes. Welcome to the show, Lucy. Thank you, Sarah. It's lovely to um, to see you on the screen and to hear your voice again. And you. Um, so we've got lots to cover today. So let's start with the present and work back. You've recently been appointed chair of the North East LEP at quite a crucial time for the regional economy. Big role. How do you feel and what are your priorities? It is a big role. So therefore, with that, um, you always have this feeling of it being a bit daunting because it's so important and there is such a lot to do. Uh, I was invited to apply um, uh, and all of this, of course, was done while we're in lockdown. So putting in an application online, being interviewed online, prepping for it and so on was quite an interesting experience in itself. Having been appointed, I'm absolutely delighted uh, and I'm really enjoying working with Helen Golightly, the chief executive there, a very, very good team, a great board, um, a mixture, as you know, of the uh, local authority leaders, the elected mayor and some great private sector boards and then a huge uh, range of talented people working on the sub boards and we need a huge pool of talent because there is such a lot to do right now while we're in the midst of this pandemic, right now while the economy is in such a, a challenging place for the northeast and so on. So as I say, lots to do but rolling the sleeves up and getting on with it and really um, enjoying it. Obviously, Andrew Hodgson, big shoes to fill, previously inherited that role. Uh, he left after having uh, achieved some great things for the LEP and for the region as a whole. Um, what, what do you see as, as the key things right now, bearing in mind the impact of COVID-19 and also of the, the transition of, to the UK leaving the EU? Well, well, you're right. Andrew Hodgson did a great job as chair and he's left it um, with Helen and the team in very good shape. The, the real challenge, as you know, the LEP with its partners, because it's it's a partnership organisation, have put in a very ambitious recovery and renewal plan to government, asking for £2.8 And that's broken down into all sorts of key projects that will really drive the economy in the northeast. Now, um, that's a big ask of government, and we won't be the only region putting in bids for money. But that's an example of the sort of things that are pressing right now. What money can we get from government? And in particular, how can we make sure that government actually puts the, um, the actions against the words of levelling up? That's the key. We're hearing such a lot about levelling up. We, we had in the spending review notification of a, of a four billion levelling up fund. Well, if you think that our response and recovery plan is 2.8 billion for the northeast, government have allocated four billion for the nation. That's not a lot of money to go around. So obviously we're working hard to make sure that the bids we put in are very strong. So it's about getting money and opportunities in for the northeast. And of course, this is important, getting the money out to the businesses um, and to the people in the communities that need to survive and grow and thrive in this difficult environment. So it's all about that money in, money out, making a huge difference to the economy. And it's all hinging around 
strategic economic plan of the of the let which has been in place for some time uh, and in shorthand that's more jobs and better jobs nothing has changed from that strategic plan more jobs and better jobs for the northeast Fantastic. And you mentioned that the LEP is a partnership body. Absolutely. And it was instrumental in convening the Northeast COVID-19 Economic Response Group, which was made up of a number of different partners. Obviously, this is, I'm guessing that um, the, the bid that's gone into government has, has had all of their input. It has. It's, it's had CBI, it's had Chamber, it's had the Federation of Small Business, it's had the sector groups, absolutely everybody pulled together. Um, local authorities, the mayoral authority played a key part in that. It, it's a genuine partnership piece, and it just demonstrates how very well the Northeast can work together when it has to. So it's been very, very positive and heartening just seeing how cohesive that working has been to put in such a strong bid. Here, here. The COVID 19 pandemic has hit us hard here in the Northeast, and the region is forecast to potentially be the worst hit by Brexit. Um, Obviously, that has just taken place. The impact is yet to come. How are you mitigating this risk at the North East Lep, working with partners? Yeah, we've obviously been working on that for some considerable time before we knew whether we had a deal or, or, or no deal. And as you say, Sarah, we just don't have the details yet. But doing the work, for example, the work of the Growth Hub at the Lep, for some years now has been supporting, for example, the supply chain all around a business like Nissan. Uh, And that's just one example. Um, If we were to lose Nissan in all of this, it would have been an absolute disaster, not just for them, but but for all the businesses that support it. A lot of work, um, and we won't have time to get into the details, so I just ask listeners to to go on the website and have a look at what the Growth Hub's been doing. Yeah, the Northeast Um, Growth Hub is an excellent resource for any business, actually, no matter where you are in your life cycle, who are looking for support, whatever kind that might be, because it's it's a great resource and and signpost site. So echo Lucy there and and signposting people there. Move away from the LEP um, for a minute, as well as being its chair, You have a huge job, another huge job as Pro Vice-Chancellor for Employability and Partnerships at Northumbria University. Tell us more about what that involves. Yes, so Pro Vice-Chancellors are terms that not everyone are familiar with. It's sort of the academic speak for the senior management team and our chief exec is the vice executive. So uh, I, I and colleagues work to support him. It's a wonderful role that I can't quite believe, Sarah, I've been in for 10 years now. When, no when way. I was, uh, I was back, as you reminded us, a lawyer. Mm. Um, I've had a number of areas of responsibility in that time, but right now um, the employability piece is making sure we do everything we can for our graduates to go on and get graduate level jobs. So the value of that degree they've invested in really plays its part in long-term careers, or they go on to postgraduate study at a senior level and so on. And that could be about making sure that they get placements um, and internships and work experience while they're with us. It's not just about careers advice. It's also about encouraging our very entrepreneurial students to set up their own businesses. We've got a really good track record at Northumbria of supporting our students in business creation. So there's all of that package, um, which is very challenging at the moment because every bit of work experience is valuable, whether it's working in a shop or a restaurant or a cafe, a bar, it's all valuable in the long term. I did it. I'm sure you did it. Every sort of bit of work experience at every stage of life is important. And I'm worried with bars and shops and theatres. Everything and so being on. closed. So it's challenging to, to, to convert all the support for our students online, but we're doing that. Two other major areas of responsibility. Northumbria has a large and very successful campus in London, 
where I take the strategic lead. So making sure that that's still up and running um, well. And then here's a challenge. We haven't opened up uh, two years ago, a small campus in Amsterdam. Actually, as a sort of interesting, exciting step, thinking we might Brexit, and sure enough, um, uh, we have. So making sure that the show is on the road still in Amsterdam when I can't get there has been challenging. But my goodness, haven't we all learned to work very, very differently? And to be honest, I haven't missed the train journeys and the flights, although I like the reading time on the train journeys and the flights, but I have missed being in London and Amsterdam. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously Astute.Work has been going now for almost 12 years and we've been always been a remote business model. So we were kind of always set up when the pandemic hit, but it's been really interesting to see other people's responses and, and how organisations, certainly the size of the university, have had to change and, and how education, healthcare, all these different sectors have had to adapt, which actually brings us really nicely on to my next question, which is... Wow, universities so badly disrupted by the pandemic. Majority of coursework is now online. What do you think this means for the future of higher education? Do you think this will form part of what it looks like going forward? I think very many universities like Northumbria were already thinking through how to deliver online. So it wasn't the immediate crisis that it might have been for some of us. I think certainly it will cause students to think, why do I want to go to university? And, and our students so far have responded really well to learning online. It's not as if they're in a room and nobody's talking to them. This is very active online engagement and small groups and so on. And they are still very um, participative in the learning and so on. And that's been a good thing. Of course, there are some students who've struggled, who don't have the facilities to study at home and so on. And, and just this morning, we've been talking about, you know, the, the challenges for school children as well, without um, laptops and so on. I think the strong universities will come out of this yet stronger. Um, I think partnership working with others, other universities and other organisations may be a different way of looking at it. We still have one of the best education systems, um, university education systems in the world, and we won't lose that overnight, but we, we have to, you know, we have to keep adapting and being strong. So, and I think we have to carry on demonstrating our value. And the research we do in universities is a really good example of that. We're all talking about the, you know, the Oxford vaccine. That's research in the university. And it's just one example of all the sorts of research and innovation that's come out of the universities recently as a result of this pandemic. It's the most high profile example, but it's one of hundreds of thousands of examples of research, products, innovation, flexing, pivoting, all the language we use at the moment to produce something different to react to this crisis. And I think to add to that, what's interesting about the pandemic, and I was talking about this with my husband earlier, if you look for the upsides, and which they always are, there are always upsides and opportunities, that a lot of organisations and institutions have been forced to adapt and finally get rid of legacy systems that management teams might not have wanted to do quite yet because the cost involved, but there has been no choice about it. And I'm not, not applying that to the university, but I just think if you look at that across the board, we've seen that quite significantly within our client portfolios and, and further afield, which I think ultimately longer term will be a good thing, particularly if we're doing things in a more efficient green manner. Also made young people think about what they want for their future. So I'm talking to very large numbers of students at the moment who are taking a real interest in allied health, life sciences, nursing, subjects that they might not have thought about a year ago, but they are asking themselves, what is the value that I can bring to society? 
And that's um, really interesting, developing those discussions with them. Yeah, and to be applauded too. We, we need more of that when we look at the pipelines in, in those careers. But as I said before, we're moving um, from now backwards. So I'm going to ask you a question um, about your choice of career. So moving from the legal sector, from which you were a big player there as well, into the academic world was a big change quite a brave change what prompted it and and would you recommend it we just talked about there are people who are perhaps reconsidering life choices you did this of your own accord without a big kind of like societal change what what prompted it (laughs) without doubt um the most frightened I've ever been in my life was the um first of July 2010 when I walked into Northumbria University never having worked in a university before Having had to Google what a pro-vice chancellor was when uh, the approach was first made and so on. So it was frightening and it was daunting. But my goodness, it was exciting. So I think what prompted the change, I had, I'd loved my legal career and there are elements of it I miss. But I just feel completely privileged to have had a chance to work in an organisation like Northumbria and to forge my way in a different sector. So if you like taking on a challenge and you're curious and you're a bit restless, I'm all of those things. It kind of flowed a bit. I mean, people were a little shocked when I abandoned a really good law career. And I obviously didn't do it overnight. I thought about it long and hard, but I'm so pleased. And it has been, as I say, reinvigorating. So um, I would say to people, be bold, be bold about these choices. And um, I guess the thing right now is that people may have to reevaluate their lifestyle just because of the way society has changed and, and some of the rules that have been kind of forced upon us. I, I guess it is a good time to take stock and decide what works, where your heart lies, and look at financials and what you can afford to do if you can make those changes. Uh, I do hope other people are doing that. No, interestingly, in this household, we've had some, so many different conversations around that. I mean, we're lucky to do what we love, but we've got kids of university age who are making their way in the world. And I've got a nine and 10 year old and we're looking and wondering what does the future of education look like for them? Um, you know, obviously we've got different schemes like apprenticeships and, and all sorts now. So uh, we're, we're watching and waiting eagerly in, in many respects. <laughs> it's exciting though. I mean, I can't think of anyone who hasn't had a quiet period over Christmas and New Year because it wasn't yeah, there was nowhere to go. Who hasn't sat at the kitchen table and thought back over the last years to what's worked and what hasn't, what's been really challenging, but also looked forward as to what's important to me. Sure. I, I often go back to that word value. What value am I bringing? What value am I getting from what I'm doing? And what value am I bringing to this? And that's always the test. I've had with the various roles I've had over the years um, in my non-executive career. I think it's a nice segue into the next question, which is about mental health. And I think mental health often significantly affected by whatever you're doing day to day. And I know lockdown's been really hard for many and significant for people of all ages. And you'll see this in the spectrum from university uh, and in your private life like like I have. I know that you're a natural optimist, which I do love about you. And your recent communications through the lab have been very welcomely upbeat. Where for you does hope oh um it's about people um and it's about seeing people pulling together making a real difference um it's about watching people struggle overcome the challenge dust themselves off start again the same for businesses be it small be it large and so on there's always hope what's the expression where this life is hope um i am a natural optimist I, i'm i'm pragmatic 
I'm realistic, but I do think you have to you 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 do have to positive. You have to have a vision of where you're going um, and to aim for that. And I am just privileged to be surrounded by people who have a vision, who have a determination uh, uh, and a, a real will to get through this. So. Yeah, onwards and upwards. Absolutely. One of the things that we do in this household very much is um, get out and about as much as we can in the countryside, whether that's a run with a dog or a quick swim in the sea or whatever that might be. I know you and your husband are big fans of the Northumberland coast. Where's your top recommendations for a day out when lockdown restrictions finally lift? Well, Sarah, I can't possibly tell you my favourite beach because everyone else <laughs> will go. Up there. <laughs> I think <laughs> so. I'm not going to do that, but. Um, uh, Bamborough is a rendezvous point for my brother who's in Edinburgh uh, and my sister who's here in Newcastle with me. So that's always a good rendezvous point. Um, and I do love the beaches. This year, while we're able to get out, I spent a lot more time in the Scottish borders. I love the Cheviots. I love walking up there. And we spent much more time in the Scottish borders this year. So, so I'll get back to that. I had a lovely role as chair of the Northeast Heritage Lottery Fund. And through that, I discovered a wonderful place, the, uh, the, the Union Chain Bridge, which is a lovely old historic bridge which links England and Scotland on the River Tweed. That's a walk uh, I want to get back to. I'll note that recommendation. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. But you know, how lucky am I living in the part of Newcastle that I do, surrounded by parks? So... My exercise, actually, I'm, I'm looking out the window now thinking five minutes away is the town moor. Ten minutes away, I'm in Jasmine Dean. If I keep walking, Keaton Park, Oosburn, all around there, like walking the quayside. So I'm going to keep walking and I'm going to keep getting out. And I just think I'm lucky that I live in a city that's green and full of open spaces. Um, and how challenging for people who don't have those privileges that I have. Yeah, yeah no, I completely agree. So on to the Northern Counties Club. Now, we've both enjoyed many happy business lunches there. And uh, that's obviously based in the centre of Newcastle. And where, after being its first female member, years later, you became its first female chair. Is this a role you still hold? And has this signalled a change in its culture? <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think going back to 1999 when I became its first female member that was the change of culture um, and many more women have followed um, my lead and joined the club and it is a it is a very welcoming place for women it's it's a super club it's I always enjoyed it I'm um, I'm not chair anymore I did three years and um, handed over to uh, my successor in actually again we were sort of in between lockdown periods so we were able to have an AGM and handover and that was in July but I'm still very actively involved in supporting them and so on but it's a, yeah it's a it's a little gem tucked away in Hood Street in the heart of Newcastle and I have a huge fondness for it. Yeah it's a lovely place and the team there are will always go above and beyond for everybody and yeah totally wholeheartedly agreed about it being quite special and a hidden hidden jewel that we've got really um 20 minutes always disappear very quickly um so let's end with a book recommendation what have you particularly enjoyed recently and, and why did you find it valuable well first of all I'm going to cheat and say not a book but I'm chair of live theatre down on the quayside and they have managed to keep going by doing online 10 minute plays oh wow so between Christmas and New Year um I've been looking at some of the short pieces of work there which are just moving hilariously funny depending on the topic uh, my favorite over Christmas was a lovely short piece called the man who ruined Christmas I didn't stop laughing for a long time 
So that's been my entertainment. But when I when I wanted to get away from the screen, the last book I've read, and it's back to the Northern Counties, it's it's the book club. And I'm sorry I'm going to disappoint you, Sarah, with something that's not inspirational, it's not erudite, it's not it's just a jolly good read. And I'm not the only person who thinks so because it's number one in the fiction bestsellers at the moment, and it's Richard Osman's The Thursday Murder Club. It's a good old modern version of a an Agatha Christie or a, a Nicholas Blake or something like that. But it's a charming, charming, witty read. And because I spend all day, every day reading documents and talking at screens, I needed something fun. And I, so I commend it to you. I will. I haven't read that one and I will look it out. And um, I absolutely adore the fact that you haven't given me a proper business book or one that's inspirational or telling me to improve in some way, because I, I really it's struggle fun. with those, to be honest. I really struggle with them. fun and frivolity every now and again. No, absolutely. Interestingly enough, I'm, um, I've just signed up to Audible and I'm listening to Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell and it's what we should know about the people we don't know and it's actually a really fascinating listen and um, it's completely different to what I again to what I would normally pick up even as fiction um, and I'm really enjoying it and um, I think that's why I've enjoyed the book club uh, it makes you read stuff that you wouldn't normally read and it's so it's, it's certainly expanded my my reading I haven't enjoyed everything that we've done at the book club but I've met some new authors that I've loved. So perfect, and that's that's the best way, isn't it? And it stretches you and introduces you, introduces you to new names, which is which is uh, what everybody wants, really. Lucy, thank you so much for a great interview. Lots of thoughtful answers to some quite tricky questions. If you who are listening would like to keep up to date with Lucy, you can find her on LinkedIn. And that's us done for today, but we're now on the hunt for new and interesting guests for 2021. So if you'd like to be involved or put someone forward, please do drop me a line at sarah at astute.work. In the meantime, bye for now and take care. Thank you for listening to My Friends in the North with Sarah Waddington. You can find Sarah on Twitter at Mrs underscore wads or get involved with the podcast by emailing sarah at astute.work see you next time